Well, good morning and thanks so much for tuning in here on this uh, August 2nd, the first day of a new month. I'm Ryan Kalei Suji, joined by Yanji Denise. This is Spotlight Hawaii brought to you by Shamanad University. And today, Yanji, we have a very important guest and a lot to talk about. We certainly do. We've been seeing the COVID case counts increase over the last week or so, and a lot of people are very troubled, especially with school starting tomorrow. Uh, so we've brought in Lieutenant Governor Josh Green live from his office at the state capitol. He, of course, leading the Safe Travels program and the state's vaccination program, along with being an emergency room doctor and our lieutenant governor. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Green. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with today's case count. We saw really high numbers over the weekend. How are we looking today? Uh, 365 today, uh, better than 452 or 485, but it's still very large number. Uh, we are at 6% positivity, which is also something that worries me. We're seeing the huge uh, Delta surge post July 4th now spread through the community, through mostly community spread. Uh, we have over 3,000 active cases and we have 150 of our citizens in the hospital sick right now. So the case counts go up and then two weeks later, the hospital counts follow. That's what we're seeing exactly. So we have to vaccinate everyone that will be vaccinated or can be vaccinated as a part of our larger plan. Let's talk about some of these numbers and break them down a little bit more, uh, especially when we're talking about hospitalizations, the capacity of these uh, hospital units. We've heard over the weekend, of course, for example, in Hilo, uh, they have uh, really rerouted some of the other treatments that they are that may be needed at hospitals to other hospitals because uh, of their need to take care of COVID patients. What are we seeing overall with hospital capacity throughout the state? Well, hospital capacity is still okay. We have 150, like I said, Ryan, in the hospital and 135 of those individuals are unvaccinated. So 90% are unvaccinated. Hilo peaked at 12 individuals in the hospital with COVID. It dropped down to eight today, but Hilo has only modest capacity as does Kona Hospital. Kona Hospital has eight also in the hospital, which is their highest number uh, for months in the, in the hospital for this pandemic. Uh, there are currently 51 individuals over at Queens. So you can, uh, see that the numbers have been increasing. What happens, of course, is individuals catch COVID, uh, in this case, the Delta variant, almost exclusively. And then 10 days to two weeks afterwards, we start seeing an uptick in the hospitalizations. Do we have enough capacity? Yes. Could we expand a lot more? Absolutely. What was our peak? 318, I believe, back on August 26th. This is looking a lot like last July, August. We have already reached out to our healthcare association, they are seeking some extra support for Queens Hospital and other hospitals like we did before, mostly to spell exhausted nurses and doctors uh, under certain circumstances. But the best way, of course, to, to deal with this hospital surge is to not have it. In other words, to have everyone be vaccinated or wearing masks or not gathering. And so there'll be lots of discussion to kind of bring the heat down in the coming weeks. That also is going to be complicated by having schools open, but hopefully we will be able to do it. In some places, the Delta variant surged like crazy and then came down real quickly. That tends to be because this is a very virulent virus, a strain of the virus. We'll talk more about that. But for hospitals in specific, we can expand. Queens had at one point at the peak of the pandemic in uh, last August, they had seven units, seven units available, 20, up to 24 people in each unit, spoke with their, um, their uh, deputy CEO there. Uh, he's very good. Both of them are great. And right now they're just at three units. So that does not mean that we can let our guard down. It just means we do have capacity to care for people. 
You know, when we talked to Dr. Libby Char here on this program on Friday, she said that hospitalizations, particularly ICU beds, were kind of a poor indicator because of the lag that you just mentioned, that that if we just go by that, we could be responding too late. The governor has said that perhaps he would limit elective procedures again. That's one of the measures that was taken early on in the pandemic to free up beds or at least keep as many as possible open. Do you think it's time for some restrictions like that? And, and what do you think about looking at the ICU count and the hospitalizations as an indicator? What are What is the best metric for us to know how serious the situation is? Great question. All the metrics are very important. Uh, to tell you the truth, we already have begun to limit elective procedures. That has already started just very gently because exactly to your point, we need to be out ahead of this. So several of our executives have already made at the hospital level, made that commitment to slightly bring them down. So what that means is, for instance, elective cardiac procedures, heart procedures that are not emergent right now, that can wait a month, believe it or not, just minor stuff gets gets put on hold for a month or orthopedics procedures to a small degree, not the big operations, but the volume of operations, just so that some of those beds are not filled in the intensive care unit. So that's already happening. I don't want people to panic. It's just a precaution so that if we do get the big surge say two to three weeks from now, like we may very well get from these larger number of COVID patients that will be okay. Now, another important thing with you, patients have not been quite as sick. They've been a little bit younger and a younger population of individuals with COVID means that there have not been as many ICU cases. So we can better manage with our 3000 plus hospital beds, anything that we have to. But I would not take that for granted. And also we're eyeing what could happen amongst our keiki. Now, 7% of all of the individuals who test positive for COVID historically have ended up in the hospital, 7%. So 3,000 cases, probably 2,100 hospitalizations coming right now. Kids, however, have represented just 1%. 1% of our children, when they get sick with COVID, have needed hospital-level care. Much thanks to Dr. Nadine Tensala, who's one of my favorite pediatricians in the whole state. It is my family's pediatrician also, by the way. Uh, she told us that that's likely what we'll see. So fewer cases in the hospital for kids. And I spoke with Capulani and Rivera, who is, uh, you know, very dear to me and, and a superstar for Hawaii. Uh, Ray said that they have more than enough capacity over at Capulani. So we are preparing for any possible uh, surges, but I don't want people to worry. Having said that, we have to get the cases down. Otherwise, over time, it will exhaust the healthcare system. There are a lot of questions right now talking about children specifically, as you mentioned, and the effects it will have on them, but also about going back to school. We know that this continues to be uh, something that parents will have to decide on and what they want to do with their kids uh, as we head into this new school year. We've already heard from Maui Mayor Mike Victorino, who's asked for a pause on in-school learning, that we do some distance learning to have uh, a better case handle on what's happening here and wait for those cases to come down. What are your thoughts? Do you think the state and overall uh, our overall school education system is prepared to send students back tomorrow? Well, that's an extraordinary uh, and complicated question. So let me try to unpack this. We always are going to respect what the mayors uh, give as input to the governor, of course. And each mayor is very close to their people. So they have a good idea of what the pulse is on the ground, what the temperature that they take of their constituents is. Here's the, here's the real deal, though. The governor, it appears, has made the decision to go forward with education, with opening of schools. I think he's got a significant set of announcements today, and he will be doing a visit to one of our schools to talk about the safety measures, which are masks, 
distancing the best of our ability. Every 12 to 17 year old gets vaccinated and their parents need to get vaccinated as well. He'll be talking about those things, plus hand washing, which is not in inconsequential. So it appears the governor is going to go forward. I know how parents are feeling about this because I'm one of them. Jamie and I are thinking about our 10 year old, Sam. He will go back to school tomorrow. We've talked to our principal. They're gonna do all that they can to make it safe and children are not profoundly impacted by COVID. But when he comes home, whether he is exposed to the virus or not, Maya, Jamie and I, because we've become vaccinated, are protected. We would be more vulnerable than he to the disease. So it appears that schools will open. Is it the right thing to do? Well, the one thing I could say is it's not right or wrong for any of our subsets of our society. It's what people decide that they feel is best. I'm going to understand if some parents decide it's too risky for their child, especially if that child has a pre-existing condition. All of those children should certainly be offered long uh, distance learning. Now, I was gonna say long distance learning because sometimes it's over the water, but I'll just say distance learning is a necessity for all of our kids that can't go to class. People have to be respected because it's a scary time. But overall, overall, education is critically important and losing a second year would be catastrophic for our children. That development can't be made up. Also, in parents' minds, they're wondering, how can we let tourism be wide open and not our schools? How could we have a bar or a restaurant be open and not our schools? And you have to respect that too, because 79% of the entire uh, eligible population to get vaccinated 79% have gone and gotten at least one shot. They have committed to that safety. So if they've made that decision for their families, it's very difficult to tell that family that their child can't go back to school. But still, I will not criticize or demonize anyone who makes a different choice. I think we have to be respectful. I will be on top of it day in and day out to make sure if there's any outbreaks at schools that we take the precautions to stop that little mini forest fire of cases. And that's what the Department of Health has to be ready to do. They have to be able to mitigate and put all of the safety measures in place, whether it's testing, mask wearing, shutting down classrooms if there's an outbreak very quickly. And so that's, I think, the real answer to this problem. You know, the comments are just going really crazy about this whole school debate. And, and there's a question here from David that I think is relevant. He says, what are the long-term effects of Delta on Keiki? You did mention that there is a small percentage of kids that are ending up in the hospital. What is the sort of course of their infection like? What do we know about the kids who are hospitalized, those outcomes? Well, for those who are hospitalized, the consequences are always largest. And that's why we're so glad to see that very few children are being hospitalized with COVID and very few people that are in their you know, early adolescence or in their elementary school years have had severe cases. Mild viruses tend to have very minimal impact long-term, but we can't discount the fact that we don't know a lot about COVID. We are going to have to live with it like we've lived with four other major coronaviruses in the past, and they've never had a very consequential impact on our general population, but I'm mindful of that. There are rare circumstances where a child can become very sick, and that's the case with every virus. You know, chickenpox can be lethal. Even a regular um, pneumonia virus can also cause not just that pneumonia, but long-term problems with sometimes uh, the brain, sometimes the heart. That's the nature of viruses. This one tends to affect children in a much more mild way, but that does not mean we want COVID to spread amongst our keiki. We still want them to wear masks. We want them to be vaccinated. And I honestly can't wait until the FDA approves vaccination for ages five to 11 so that my Sam and everyone else's child can at least consider becoming vaccinated. Now, the group of, of children aged 12 to 17 
have been getting vaccinated. Over half of them who have been eligible have gotten vaccinated, and it's about 58%, I believe, have at least started the vaccination process. They can only take the Pfizer shot. So people are getting protected. And if you're protected with the vaccine, you tend to have a, a minimal, if, if not non um, even recognizable course of the virus. So parents shouldn't be too, ser- too uh, seriously concerned. But look, as parents, we all worry. One of the big criticisms that we are hearing, though, uh, from parents is that may- maybe some do want to take uh, that option of not sending your kid into school and but they're saying that there isn't the option for distance learning that that mechanism that model has not really been built in into the integration plan of this reopening of schools to allow for in-person and proper distance learning that we saw last year uh, how then do parents uh, support their children and their education efforts in trying to get their kids back into some sort of curriculum structure if there really isn't that distance learning available for them I think they're right. I think that parents deserve to have a distance learning option and they will have to ramp that up significantly. People are now asking, I'm sure, why the heck didn't it happen already since we're starting school tomorrow? Well, the Delta variant is a very different beast and people did not anticipate that another variant was going to jeopardize the 2021-22 school year. But that's no excuse. We have to now rev up those programs and make many more slots available. It may very well be that a broad curriculum of opportunities is offered for a short time, whether it's age cohort matched or broader even than that. There has to be some extra education that can go on. Now I'll tell you, we just educated Sam at home for the better part of a year and he did very well, but I was lucky. Jamie was at home, she's an attorney, but she's been raising our children. That was very lucky and we did our best with a public school option that was only very limited, very limited at home. Maya, who had a lot more resources in the private school that she goes to, didn't miss a beat and they were in school full time. So parents are seeing it from both sides. Our family actually sees it from both sides. And I think we have to have distance learning options essentially for anyone who's concerned about going to school right now. Although I think that that concern should wane. I think it'll be safer and safer in the coming months. Obviously Delta will burn out at some point. It burned out quite quickly in the UK. That's one benefit. Although it's not a great silver lining right now when you're looking at 365 cases today but I do think it's going to burn down fairly quickly. I would just say this to parents if they're concerned, they should get vaccinated. That's the most important thing. And if their child wears a mask, they're gonna be pretty safe. We saw, for instance, at several of our public schools that had classes throughout the summer, while Delta has been here, that they did not have significant numbers of cases. And we, because of the statute and because it's the right thing to do, we'll be reporting on each school every week, the number of cases that they have. Just like I report on every hospital and how many cases they have every day, The schools will be doing that every week. So we'll have a lot of data to reassure parents and they should still make the the decisions that they feel are best for their kids. I want to bring in this comment. It is a criticism, but it's a fair one. And she says, uh, sounds like they want to open school to justify their wide open tourism policy. You mentioned that restaurants and a lot of, you know, venues are open. Is it time to scale some of those things back, especially as we are starting to open schools? There are Plenty of criticisms here at, you know, talking about priorities and saying, why have we put business ahead of kids? Well, we haven't. Uh, We want kids to be the first priority. So that person is wrong and they're pissed. And I understand because it's scary. But let's, you know, let's cool it on the negativity for a moment and get real. It's very difficult to start schools because kids are something we worry about more than anything. And we had to start the economy or all of our kids would have been laid 
waste by having no resources, no hospitals, no preschool, no nothing. So you had to eventually um, to get to a place where we survived as a as a community. It is simply not black and white. And I know people love black and white on the Internet and have at it, guys, you know, but I am not black and white in these things. I want all of our kids to get educated. And I also think some modest restrictions may need to be put back into place, which I'm sure we'll be discussing at 1115 with the mayors and the governor uh, here today. But, you know, when people just go off on the Internet, and I understand it's a good way to let loose and, and vent a little bit. It's, it's not really helpful, though. You want to help? Go get vaccinated. Go get vaccinated so your kid can't spread COVID to yourself. You want to help? Make sure that you support people in your neighborhood so that if they have to also get educated, you can work together to get educated from home. There's a lot of constructive things that we can do. What's not constructive is pitting one industry against another in the state of Hawaii because we're all in this together, nor is it good to pit one county against another. That's also not particularly healthy because we will spread COVID between the counties. We will spread COVID between friends. We will also rise or fall by how we deal with this as a state. There seems to be a lot of questions about the cases themselves, uh, you know, a lot of people wanting information, which brings up the question about contact tracing. And we know that this is something that early on in the pandemic that you were really advocating for and getting more people available to do contact tracing. Given the recent numbers that we're seeing uh, right now with these 300 numbers, uh, are we doing a good job of keeping track of all this? How is the contact tracing program going in the state? And are we able to get these the information needed from all of these individuals now that are testing positive? It's extraordinarily difficult. That's a very good question. Uh, we ramped up our contact tracing team to over 400 people, and then a lot of those individuals had to be deployed to the vaccination initiative, which, while the case counts were lower, was absolutely central to what we have to do. And we've given, heck, I mean, it's almost 2 million shots now. I think it's 1.75 million shots. And a lot of those people are going to have to also go back into the contact tracing realm and help. It's going to be hard. I want to be frank with people. With 3,000 cases times about 20, that's about 60,000 individuals that you have to be tracking when you're looking at close contacts of COVID cases. It will not be easy, which is why we have to get the numbers down and why there may need to be some new restrictions. But it's also important that we get more global and regional data. What do we know about certain communities? Well, we'll know what each school is experiencing as far as case counts. We also know what zip codes are vaccinated or not. Did you know that some zip codes are around 70% vaccinated and others at 35%? Those 35% vaccinated zip codes are going to see the brunt of cases no matter what. So we know what the population health looks like now. And the best thing we can do as leaders is go out and advocate for vaccinations. I would say every single leader should go to their community and encourage people either vaccinate or do all that they can if they're against it to be safe. It's really disappointing to me when I see some of our leadership not representing their community and not getting vaccinated. In places where the vaccination rates are super low, those leaders, whether they're council members, reps, senators, they should go into their district, host some vaccination sites, host education set, uh, uh, events, host ways to get masks to people. Those are the things that you're supposed to do when you're a leader. And I hope that everyone will do that because we're gonna get through the, uh, the COVID crisis together one way or another. But we don't want to get through it by infecting a lot of people when they didn't have to be infected. 
Is it time for some vaccine mandates in the areas where you can actually control that kind of thing? You know, healthcare workers would be one group, state workers would be another. What are your thoughts on this? I know in the past you've said that you're, you know, you're not in favor of blanket mandates, but has that evolved at all? Great question. So here's the story. I don't personally support vaccine mandates. However, I can see the wisdom in asking all healthcare workers to get vaccinated. And if they won't get vaccinated, in such a mandated setting, they should get at least a weekly test, if not a test twice weekly, so that we know that they're not COVID positive. I do think it's a moral obligation to get vaccinated if you're a healthcare worker, because you could spread COVID to your patients, uh, and that's not acceptable. So if you're in patient care, obviously you should be vaccinated. I think you're gonna hear a lot of this in the coming couple of weeks, because we're seeing it across the country, whether it's state workers or federal workers, it's a little difficult because now we're getting close to four out of five people have gotten vaccinated across all of the eligible populations, leaving about 20%, one out of five people that are adamantly opposed to it. I don't wanna divide society and that's why I don't push hard on mandates, but I do understand if private businesses decide that they are going to insist on vaccination, unless someone has a real good reason not to do it, they should at least make them available and or testing available. I also think that we're coming soon to a time where the FDA is gonna finally approve the vaccine and I think that will also boost our vaccination numbers. I think you'll see more people get vaccinated when the FDA approves it and when we allow five to 11 year olds to approve it. And then once again, if leaders go into their community and host vaccination clinics, people that they trust. For instance, there are some very conservative communities out there who have leaders that they have a deep trust in, that they really like. Those leaders should go there and encourage them to get vaccinated. Otherwise they're gonna see fatalities in their own community. When we talk about that vaccination rate, we know that that benchmark that the governor has set, uh, again, is 70%. And when you look at where we're at right now, at the beginning of July, we were at 58.3%. Uh, one month later, we just reached just over 60%. Uh, so it took about a month to get that 2%. How realistic do you think that 70% is at this point in time? And do you think that that continues to be the benchmark that we need to strive and go towards given the numbers that we're seeing now do you believe that maybe that number needs to be higher pretty good question so look we're we're now in a good spot as far as vaccination clinics this week goes because a lot of people are semi freaked out and they want to go get vaccinated i saw that in person in, in palolo valley i want to give a real special shout out to pastor kevin over there at his church just amazing what he and project vision did people should support them by the way they put a $25 gift card on the table and tons of people came and got vaccinated. And then we went door to door. But if your question is what the number is ultimately going to be, 67.8% have now at least initiated vaccination. And so in three to four weeks, we will get somewhere near that number because people will get their second shot. It's still going to take time to get to 70%. We're also increasing our natural immunity, unfortunately, because people are catching COVID all across the state. So 70% will be within reach, but we won't really pass it easily until the FDA makes their approval. Then what I think will happen will be they'll approve it sometime in a month or so. We'll see a surge again past 70%, but we'll still have the Delta variant out there. There's no magic number for herd immunity, unfortunately. I wish that there was. I wish I could tell you that when you touch 75%, the virus stops. All I can say is the Delta variant is burning through people very quickly. Fortunately, it's not causing a lot of harm with children, and we have to watch that very carefully. But we're getting our immunity one way or another. And the much better way to get the immunity is to be vaccinated because 99.999%, I'll say it again, 99.999% of individuals who are vaccinated do not die when they catch COVID. 
So you're talking about a tiny number of people who die from COVID if they've been vaccinated. And those individuals are probably people with extremely complicated past medical history, with a lot of other problems, and they're probably pretty old most of the time. So it's clear here what the science is, but I also recognize and respect people if they have some difficulty choosing to be vaccinated. I'm just imploring everyone to get vaccinated because I know that's the way our state gets better. Savvy has a question here saying, where is transmission happening? Bars, restaurants, office buildings. Can you give us a little bit of insight as to where the community spread is actually happening? And also you mentioned the possibility of adding some restrictions back. Where would you suggest targeting those restrictions so they could be the most effective? It's likely that restrictions will be on gathering size. I think that the director of health is inclined to go back to gatherings of just 10 people. And the reason for that is because you just get less community spread. Most of the spread has been community spread. Sure, there's some in restaurants and bars here or there, but it's mostly been one by one, little couples of people. 20% of our cases have been our own returning residents coming back. They're not vaccinated. And unfortunately, they don't take a pretest because they just agree to go into home quarantine. But if you've come from a place where there's a lot of COVID, whether it's in Texas or Florida or, or Las Vegas, you catch COVID and then you don't do anything except come home. You go into quarantine and who are you with? You're with your, your girlfriend. You're with uh, maybe a couple kids. You might see your parents and that's when you spread COVID. So that's a big part of this. So gathering size is a problem, but really it's still mostly amongst those who are unvaccinated. There are some breakthrough cases, admittedly but not many that are severe. If we wanna get smart about this again, we'll add some additional testing for our returning residents who are unvaccinated. We've proposed this and we'll see what comes. We also should do what we can to make sure everyone's masking indoors, especially, especially, especially if they're unvaccinated. And then going beyond that, we just have to be smart. When kids go to school, if they're vaccinated, we didn't see outbreaks. And if we do see a small cluster, we again have to surround it with contact tracers like Ryan pointed out and testing. That's still the best playbook. Uh, I can't say it's going to be perfect, but we've gone now through this twice before. We had an outbreak last July, and it went through about two and a half months. Then we had an outbreak over January 1, Christmas and New Year's. It lasted about six weeks. And this one looks like it's going to be a hybrid of those because it's a different variant, but two-thirds of us are vaccinated. Sorry, Ryan, I just want to want to follow up on one thing that he just said, and that is the the idea that you've proposed a change to safe travels. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Not so much a change to safe travels as an addition to augment it so that when people return, if they are unvaccinated, if individuals are unvaccinated, we give them a test to take three days after. And a lot of uh, good ideas have come around this subject before. The reason for this is because if you look at where the cases are actually coming from, only 2% have been coming from visitors. 20% have been coming from our own returning residents. Both cases, in both cases, it's been unvaccinated individuals for the most part. And then the other 80% of the cases are associated with direct community spread. So if you wanna knock down kind of these clusters that are forming because of travel and then setting off the fires in our communities, that's one way to do it. I do advocate lots and lots of testing in the community. The, F, um, the FEMA guys, the feds will pay for this. We will promote this as much as we can. It's just if I can be candid with people, it's just a lot. You know, we are a small state with somewhat modest capabilities. I think that's an understatement to some on the line, right? But I'll tell you, everyone's been working their butt off to try to keep these cases contained. The only way to truly keep them contained long in the long run is for most people to be vaccinated. And if you are at risk otherwise, to be wearing a mask. 
those are the best things that you can possibly do. And it gives you options if you have, for whatever reason, some kind of opposition to being vaccinated. Don't want to demagogue that issue. I just really want to say, guys, that's the safest thing. Because every time I see a patient that's either getting oxygen or about to be put on a ventilator that's been unvaccinated, almost as always or is always an unvaccinated person in my experience, they really have you know, a breakdown. And they say, if only I had gotten vaccinated, I wouldn't be in this situation where I may either lose my life or not be there for my kids. So that's what I'm trying to appeal to people. So people can protest and complain and argue all they want. That's totally okay. That's what we do in America uh, part of the time. It's free speech, right? But think about what the impact will be on your children or your family members that you leave behind. And think about what the impact is on society. We have this question about whether we can even open schools, which is one of the most important things we do for our, our community. So we have to make the right decisions. If we're vaccinated, our cases are low, we can educate our children very easily. If we're unvaccinated, it's an explosion of COVID. So who knows what the next variant will look like? So let's let's get ahead of it right now. You know, I know we're running out of time here, but I quickly want to just add in a question here about some of if we are going back into some restrictions, be it on group size uh, or in the size that are allowed in restaurants or mask wearing. Uh, a lot of the questions here and the comments that we're seeing is regarding enforcement, that even if we have some of these restrictions in place and that we scale back, uh, there really isn't the enforcement that we're seeing that we saw earlier on in the pandemic. And many people will just simply continue on as they have been and not necessarily going back to those restrictions that might end up in place. How do we balance that? And how do we find ways to make sure that people are following these restrictions, not only visitors, but locals as well? Well, what I can say is this, the mayors are very committed to enforcement. They may have to ramp up enforcement again, uh, but perhaps unlike some other things uh, where COVID is concerned, size definitely does matter, okay? So we have to be very careful with the size of our gatherings, all right? We have to do that. If we're not careful, we're gonna just see explosions in these clusters of 25, 30, 50 people. And that's gonna be terrible. If you do take off your mask and you're unvaccinated in that size of a crowd, it's gonna just crush you. And so it shouldn't be the police that have to tell you that. It shouldn't be the attorney general's office. It should be your own family members that tell you that's not smart. I know people are now planning their, um, their first birthdays and their weddings and all these things, but look, we have to be careful. And the more careful we are right now, the smarter we are right now, the faster the case counts drop. That's, it's just clear that that's the case. For those of you who are vaccinated already, you've done something extraordinary. You've limited your risk. You've limited your family's risk. You may catch COVID, but you're not going to be particularly sick and you're not going to die. For those who are not vaccinated, your kids are going to come home from school, possibly with COVID. I can't tell you for sure. And you'll be at risk and you could catch it. It could cost you your job. It could cost you weeks of your life. It could cost you even more. So the best thing we can do is right now go get vaccinated. There are many options. Go to hawaiicovid19.com. Go anywhere to get these um, vaccinations, but make that right decision. And if for whatever reason out there you cannot get vaccinated or you choose not to get vaccinated, just do the smart things. Always wear a mask indoors. Always mask up around individuals where if you don't know whether or not they could have COVID. That will also put out these fires. And that way we can both respect one another and our decisions, but also stop the COVID outbreak. I hope and expect we'll have lower numbers in two weeks by the time we get to speak with one another again. But there's a lot of important decisions between now and then that I think we're gonna to have to honor. Uh, I just wanna thank people for understanding that these are really tough, tough calls. 
the call on schools, whether to open them or not, is a tough call. The call on whether or not to mandate vaccinations, very, very tough call by the mayors and the governor. But the goal is to protect all of our keiki and our kupuna and our state. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us from his office live at the state capitol. We do appreciate you starting your Monday off with us. The comments, you know, um, people are so passionate on all sides of this issue. We know that you're taking a lot of heat on that as well. And so we do appreciate you being here this morning. Don't worry about me. Just take care of yourselves and be healthy. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you. Well, always good to see him. Uh, we see your comments and we see so many parents, especially people saying, why are we sending our kids to school? And that is an ongoing discussion. We know that the governor, uh, as the lieutenant governor just mentioned, there is going to be having a press conference uh, with the director of the Department of Health, Dr. Libby Char, and the interim uh, superintendent who takes over now. This is his first full week on the job, taking over for Dr. Christina Kishimoto, whose term ended uh, at the end of July. So We'll be looking forward to that, but it does sound like they are going to continue with school as planned. Uh, the lieutenant governor saying that he understands parents who don't want to send their kids to school and says that, you know, if people are not comfortable, there should be distance learning options available. Will they be? We'll have to look for that presser uh, to get more information. Yeah, more information coming out later today from the governor uh, and that press conference that is happening this afternoon. So uh, definitely make sure that you stay posted here to the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Also interesting to hear from the lieutenant governor just on the overall case counts about where we're at as a state right now. There doesn't seem to be a, a whole a lot of worry about the hospitalization loads and what the capacity of these hospitals are, but they are continuing to monitor that, uh, using that as, of course, one of the metrics to really gauge uh, just how much people uh, or how much need there is in the community, especially with the ICU beds and ventilators that we know were something that the Lieutenant Governor, as well as uh, other health officials have been tracking throughout the entire pandemic. Of course, they are seeing this ramp up uh, with those uh, unvaccinated people in the hospital. He also said that there is about 10%, uh, I believe is what they said of those who are in the hospital that actually were vaccinated as well. That's right. He did talk a little bit about kids who end up in the hospital. And I know that that is worrisome to so many people. Uh, and one thing that the hospitals are already starting to do, he said, with a gentle touch as opposed to a full mandate is to limit elective procedures. And so he said, if you have a cardiac procedure that can wait a month or an orthopedic procedure, for example, that can wait a month or two, that they are trying to scale those back. Um, that is, you know, that's a big impact to a lot of people. If you were someone who was waiting for a knee or a hip replacement and you've got to wait another month, that, of course, does impact you. But the, you know, the bottom line is they need to keep those beds free. Uh, so much to talk about here. We do appreciate all of you joining us. We know that there are uh, there's a lot of passion and we appreciate it. But the bottom line, as the lieutenant governor said, is to get vaccinated. Uh, if you are eligible and have not done so yet, please, please do so. I saw one of the comments in here echoing what the lieutenant governor had said as a doctor, saying that there are a lot of people who are filled with regret when they find themselves in the hospital with a serious case of covid wishing they had had the vaccine. We don't want that to happen to any of you or to any of your loved ones. So if you are eligible, please do consider getting that shot. Of course, the Lieutenant Governor speaking from a state level, we're going to be zeroing in a little more on the counties in our next show on Wednesday. We're going to be joined by two council members to talk more about what's happening within 
uh, the city and county of Honolulu, specifically also in their districts. That's right. We'll be talking to Andrea Tupola and Agi Toba about uh, what he and what, what they both are seeing in their communities, what kind of restrictions they would support, uh, if any. We know that um, Councilmember Tupola had been a big advocate of opening schools, uh, opening sports rather, uh, because that was something that she said that kids were missing and she led this, you know, uh, opening sports. So we're going to be checking in with her about how she feels about schools reopening and just overall what the city can do when it comes to the COVID-19 response. They'll be joining us on Wednesday. And then of course, another big issue of course is tourism. So on Friday, we have an executive from Southwest Airlines joining us. It'll be the first time we get to talk to someone from that airline here uh, on this platform. And we're really excited to get a look at what their plans are. We know that they've done a lot of expansion into Hawaii and we know there's some trepidation about that. So we'll be addressing all of that on Friday right here. Looking forward to that conversation. We thank you all for being a part oh, we of the job fair, though. <laughs> we, wanna, we do have the job fair. That we we want to let want. you know, um, this is important. If you are looking for a job right now on Wednesday, August 4th, the Honolulu Star Advertiser is presenting the return of the in-person career expo. This is opportunities uh, for people at the Neil Blaisdell Center Exhibition Hall from nine to three. You have to bring your resume in hand. COVID-19 safety protocols will be enforced. So that includes mask wearing, social distancing, temperature checks, and proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test result. You can pre-register at that website you see right there, hawaiicareerexpo.com. So if you are someone who is looking to get back to work, this is a great opportunity to meet face-to-face -face with some of those employers. That's right. So we look forward uh, to seeing you back here uh, on this show on uh, Wednesday for another uh, episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Take care. Aloha. Aloha.